0: Well, Apparently, last episode it was slightly unrealistic to do more than half the league summer league, particularly when Oklahoma City had their entire NBA roster there. So we finished up with Oklahoma City on the last episode. We now move to another pretty interesting team, the Orlando Magic, and of course, number one overall pick Paolo Bancaro.
1: Right, and Bancaro, we you know we we both had him high. I did, I had him number one. You had him number two behind. Mr. Shaden Sharp. And we had high expectations and only played in two games. Part of that was because Ben Carroll played well Um, the they'll put the averages just out there for this um, in those two games average 20 points, six assists, five rebounds, two and a half steals, one block, about 30 minutes per game. Only took four three-pointers, two per game, made half of them, and then he got 20 free throws, so 10 per game, and made 80% of them. For me, though, the more fascinating takeaway, and we'll talk plenty about Paolo Bancaro's offense, Bancaro, is I have this theory that Intel ba- high basketball IQ players who the biggest thing they're lacking defensively is actually trying are that it improvement from that point is both easier and more likely than for the other reasons that a player can be deficient defensively and i think we got a whole lot more ammunition for that argument watching him in summer league
0: yeah so expand on that what, what did you make of him defensively
1: bank I so in that first game they were playing it was magic rockets and so a lot of times bank Caro was guarding jabari smith and jabari did a night nice, you know there were times that was not jabari's best offensive game where i thought bank Caro did a nice job keeping his feet moving moving he had a, a nice block and help defense and then reacted well enough to contest the following layup where, you know, because you blocked the shot, it stayed with the offensive possession and got there. And then, of course, that at the end of the craziest summer league game I've ever seen against the Sacramento Kings, he had the block that ended up sealing the game after a replay review. But the overall effort level was much better, and it looked like Paolo Banchero is going to be a credible defensive player. I don't know that he's going to be like a huge plus or something, like that but compared to the duke film miles better
0: yeah and i thought uh, moving his feet looked pretty good uh, and that was kind of my position on him coming in i thought he showed a little bit more rim protection than expected like uh, you mentioned that big block and that was something seeing him in person that was very impressive is his explosion off of two feet uh, around the basket you know, he had a, a 360 in transition and it had a, a beautiful reverse dunk off a baseline spin so uh, around the basket particularly if he can load up a little bit he can really get some big dunks now this may also come into play with keegan murray who we'll talk about later in this program and it often seems to happen where i'll kind of be ahead of some people on a guy although it seemed like that was more the case early on in the draft process Although I didn't, you know, I only watched film of of, uh, Bancaro a couple of weeks beforehand. But that was when Jabari was talking about going number one. He was going to go number three. I was like, now this guy should be the number one pick. Uh, And when I first watched him. And so I felt like those who hadn't really seen much of him, or maybe were expecting something different or or probably the biggest thing I think that wasn't really in the zeitgeist that now is, is what this guy can do as a ball handler and passer. Like, I I think people kind of saw him as more of like just a scoring forward. and and no his game is much beyond that but I thought that's something that we really you and I both appreciated uh, about him in the film so now I think actually people might be getting a little too excited uh, about Bancaro and the reason I say that is I don't think he's going to be very effective attacking like size players. You can see that a little bit in the numbers. He had eight points on 15 isolations. And when he was attacking someone his size, wasn't able to get much separation. It usually devolved into a difficult long two and we'll see how good he becomes at those shots whether that's really going to be you know he's a shot taker or a shot maker on some of these plays same thing from three as well he shot it a little bit better from the outside but that was only four attempts in two games so i think that was one of the things that stuck out to me in terms of weaknesses of just he's not really going to be able to attack like-sized player but then what i really enjoyed about the way they started using him i tweeted this maybe about halfway through the first half of That first game of like, yeah, you know, they're not really using him in Summerlee. Really, like you wouldn't do this where you actually have him run pick and roll against smaller players. And then they started doing that. And I thought that looked really good.
1: I believe that is what led to my single favorite Bancaro play, which was he there was a whip pass. To from the opposite side for a Caleb Houston corner three, and just like the velocity on that pass, and just get the read was just, it was awesome. And you create a modest advantage, you get the defense to shade, and you can you can kind of tilt a defense a little bit on an axis, and then exploit that tilt to create a passing lane. And and what's funny about it is we this came up when we were talking about Josh Giddy previously is that you don't necessarily need to create that much of an advantage to to get these pass. Angles If you're a damn good passer, but you have to actually do it. And I actually think bankero is more suited for doing that, partially just because of his physical size. Because if you use that smaller player to screen for him, kind of like we've talked about also with Zion in the past, it creates what looks like an oh shit situation. And if it looks like one of those, it probably is as a practical consideration. And so you then, if somebody starts shading, then Paolo can make that pass and you get a good shot
0: now you know he was incredibly effective as a pick and roll ball handler 12 points on eight possessions only three of those were field goal attempts he got fouled a ton in those situations however where i think that he may struggle as well i mentioned against like-sized players i'm not sure that he actually can beat centers your average center in an isolation if teams decide to switch that you know if he's going to run pick and roll with say wendell carter jr or mo bamba who are probably going to be your two options on this this magic team you know Mo Bamba will probably pop so you could just switch that like he had it uh in the Sacramento game tried an isolation against Nimi Esquita who is a big guy uh, but also you know probably less mobile than your average NBA center and really wasn't able to get much separation against him you know that was going to be a probably a difficult long two and uh, you know I'm not sure that he has like that blow by speed he's got that spin move but uh, maybe not the ability or maybe the jumper isn't quite good enough yet to get those guys out on the floor you know if you're a center I think you just try to contain him get a hand up uh, and contest it and um, I don't know that that's going to be like amazing offense for Banker at least early on you know talking more about about what he's going to be this year you know so if he really improves as a shooter to where uh, he can beat centers on switches now you're really going to have something because he can run a pick and roll with anyone I think he's going to be better again going after those smaller players than getting into the post shooting over those guys making passes necessarily but we'll see maybe maybe he can refine that part of his game
1: and worth considering at this point that Paulo Bancaro is 19 right now this will be his age 20 season so like we're talking about what he could be at 24 25 maybe even older than that and like I also looking at it mean, remember, he played some football growing up in Seattle. I think he could get if you want him to, he could get bigger and that could create some, you know, like, there will be de- like kind of body development questions for the magic in terms of what do you want from him? Like, what is the ideal role? Because actually, I think in some ways, making him a little bit bigger could work if you want to try to emphasize those smaller guy matchups. It'll be it'll be a challenge to figure out exactly what you want his composition to be.
0: Yeah. Further on the physical side, I had made this observation, you know, Keandre talked about it as well, that he wasn't in great shape at Duke. I mean, not terrible shape, obviously. And like his body composition is totally fine. But in terms of just getting tired out there on the floor cardio, when he makes some of these full court attacks or post-ups or... or big efforts jumping that he can get tired and we saw that here as well and even i talked to a a member of orlando's coaching staff uh, about him and you know number one they obviously are ecstatic to have him to to be very clear they were they were unbelievably impressed by his. this is actually before the first game but just what they'd seen in practice they thought that the passing was unbelievable but they did note that he could get into elite condition uh which I, i agree with i mean there was a few times like after he did that 360 in transition he was exhausted and then he had a turnover and another play where he didn't provide any transition or resistance in transition. Defensively, there was. Other times, uh, when he just kind of wore down after he got in the ball a few possessions a- in a row. Um, but yeah, I mean, l- like you, I was, I was impressed overall when he really tried to move his feet defensively. Like there are a couple of examples. He Josh Christopher tried to drive on him one-on-one, and he cut him off, forced to travel uh, against him. Um, I also thought that in the post he's gonna need to refine his game a little bit more i mean he's got this great like pump fake step through game but what does he have and again this could be something that could help him score against more like-sized players if not like-sized players you know if he's being guarded by a combo forward or something like that what move does he have from kind of the mid post area once he backs down within 10 feet so i shouldn't say mid post really just more the post uh if he doesn't get like either that quick spin move or the up fake step through doesn't really seem to have like a great jump hook doesn't get great extension that's another parallel with uh, blake griffin uh, who i've so often compared into that late career blake griffin and you know he can kind of he can shoot a little bit of a fade away going over his right shoulder but he doesn't have like that high of a release on that shot either so i want to see him be able to or is he going to to just like completely back the guy down and put him in the goal is he gonna have that level of strength to score you know he doesn't have the hugest wingspan so i i think i want him to develop a, a higher skill level in the post to, as well to have something he can go to if he gets it there late in the clock or whatever so obviously a very encouraging summer league he's everything that he was supposed to be but i also just don't want to get too far ahead right now of what he actually is at this moment and that's going to be the big key to me of like all right is this guy gonna be you know a a very very good player maybe lower end all-star which would probably be my projection for him right now or are we talking about a guy who's really gonna be one of the absolute elite offensive players in the nba and obviously his shooting is a big part of that but you know his ability to beat guys his own size or beat guys bigger than him i think that's what i'll be watching to determine whether it's like okay this guy's actually just gonna be impossible to deal with
1: yeah it's a key question and we will have to
0: see where it goes or land yeah, also impossible to deal with speaking of which although maybe in a different way
1: oh i was gonna go to caleb houston um, oh damn it <laughs> Well, because you stay with, <laughs> stay with the rookies and then move on. Um, so Houston okay. was Orlando's second round pick, former, so listed at 6'8", 205, and uh, originally from Ontario, went to Montford and then went to Michigan, and was a very highly regarded prospect, uh, sixth, I believe, in RSCI. And yeah, I mean, I, he's
0: being talked about as a top 10, maybe even top five pick coming into the season.
1: And so he, he overall, you know, one of the developmental priorities for the this magic summer league team and but he only ended up with 16 usage 42 percent true shooting on that part of that was that houston has uh, he was only 7 to 28 from three and more concerning for me played 115 minutes and only got one free throw attempt the ball was not in Houston's hands very much other than when he was shooting. But so so that was a concern. But I did, I think the thing that stuck out to me most, and this is just a very basic point, is that he's a big dude. He, like, he has positional size for somebody who's who has a shooting reputation.
0: Yeah, shooting reputation. And obviously the first game against the Rockets, which was the one that I was able to see live, had 20 points, five of nine from three. And then he scored 14 points in his next three games and uh, was two of 19 from three in those games and that's the big thing of just whether he's going to be able to make shots but like you said i mean he's got his physical profile his size is impressive uh doesn't really dip his jumper a, a lot either so i uh you know I'm, he's not really a movement shooter yet either he had a but even in that good game against houston he had a really bad miss coming off the screen and yeah you know, I, I mean you see the potential but obviously his inability to keep it going after that first game indicates why he fell into the side Round
1: right, and some of that. I, I, Houston was somebody who interested me enough that I went back into the college stats and something. Okay, well, what what parts of this? Because like his jump shot looked pretty mechanically solid to me, like I didn't really see anything there. And yeah, I mean, 36% on five attempts per game at Michigan that's pretty good, but then this ties in with what we saw at Summer League. Houston was 53% true shooting on below 20% usage, he was at 18%, in part because he didn't get to the line that much, about two a game, and because he shot. 43% on twos that Michigan team didn't always have the greatest spacing I watched a little bit of them doing the Keegan Murray scout but you know it's kind of that same idea and so I, I'm not there yet you know it's the second round pick I was focused so much more on Bancaro during that time so Houston this will be I think he's I'm trying to I'm trying to do you have his age handy yeah, he turned 19 in January. Okay, okay. So this will be his age 20 season. So, I mean, if he can – the jump shot is real, you know, if we see that from from, from Michigan and that, that comes in. And then he develops kind of something to do from two and or – uh, some improved defensive capability yep there's more in there i mean get get a guy like that in the second round who has who has wing size like that's great i hope that he does it
0: yeah and really i mean if you look at how he was operating you mentioned the usage was low 24 possessions out of spot ups basically all of that was just taking a no dribble jumper off the catch and then you know a little bit in transition and, and really almost nothing self-created whatsoever and i don't think that's uh, going to be his ultimate destiny his destiny is going to hopefully be a pure shooter and like i said his jumper looks very nice uh and the hope is he can be a high volume spot up guy, and then with his size, give you something defensively. And of course, uh, that would be a quite a valuable player. Uh, Devin Kennedy, a veteran. You don't need to talk about him too much. Uh, he's on a non guarantee. I think for this year, he will absolutely. Yeah, he's got the the league wide cut down date, uh, yeah. candy and then a team option and, for and next year.
1: It's also a tough place to be because the Magic have 15 fully guaranteed contracts right now. So right, he'll, he'll have to beat he'll have to beat somebody. But it's possible. Or they make a trade. Yeah. The magic definitely could yeah. make a trade.
0: Yeah, they could. Uh, but uh so he just likes to bomb it coming off of screens undersized two essentially a guy who actually probably worked pretty well in this setting with Paolo because he'd be guarded by a small player he could pick and pop out of that run the floor in transition and and bomb it a little bit but he's someone who's going to need to make shots at an elite level and if he can do that maybe he could stick because this team does have a dearth of shooters particularly in the backcourt and particularly if you don't include terrence ross In that. And then, as I started to allude to earlier, RJ Hampton, when we last saw him, we did a breakdown of a tanktastic game that Hampton and Admiral Schofield managed to. I can't remember whether they actually lost the game or not, but they were up by like against another tanking team by like 20 at the end of the third. And then uh, Hampton and Schofield brought the other team back and
1: well and before uh, we get into that i want to walk people through what rj hampton is physically just because it might have been a little while so hampton the 24th pick in the 2020 draft then was was originally on denver traded to orlando in the aaron gordon deal listed at 6'4, 175 the question was going to be what kind of guard was he could he run an offense could he play off ball could he be like a you know like a a different version of a zach levine and had had a genuinely tough first couple of years in the NBA, fifty-one percent true shooting on that that rookie year, and then forty-eight percent last year on the often tank-tastic, tank-tastic Magic.
0: Yeah, and then this summer league performance. Only played two games, started to pick it up a little bit in the Sacramento game, but really rough performance in that Houston game. He really, the big appeal in theory of Hampton was going to be his explosiveness off the dribble, but he really wasn't able to get by guys. Houston was doing a ton of switching with Jabari Smith at center. He had a number of plays where he would try to attack off the dribble and just couldn't beat his man. And then doesn't they had him playing as the point guard with this group which makes sense you're trying to expand that part of his game but really a a poor decision maker uh some awful decisions trying for mid-rangers he had multiple air balls on bad jumpers uh against sacramento there was one play where he tried to take this guy frankie ferrari who's sort of the heir to oh man what is that guy's name he's sort of like a a 4a point guard like josh i want to say josh minot but of course that's not it he just played in like a million summer league league's it's left-handed josh manjet there we go uh that so f- frankie for a very undersized Slow point guard RJ Hampton couldn't beat him off the dribble. He got to the basket a few more times as that Sacramento game went on, but wasn't able to finish at the rim either. And on defense, I thought that he was getting blown by quite a bit. Josh Christopher blew by him in that Houston game. Didn't see a ton of effort from him, like getting back in transition or anything. Had a ton of turnovers, and it just the one thing he did do is defensive rebound. But it it just was not there for him as a third year guy. it, It doesn't seem like he's really uh, on the path to having a career at this point
1: you want third-year players even if the context for third-year players coming into summer league playing in summer league is that they haven't had the greatest first two years you want to see them not only take steps forward and I thought even though this is a low bar this was the best I've seen RJ Hampton look but he didn't look better enough and now the the team option they'll get a lot more information on that for next year 4.2 million but the he should not knowing what we know right now Hampton should not be a developmental priority for the magic and the good news for them is they have a billion other guards so they can potentially use those players and another concern for Hampton kind of along those lines is that I don't think he does anything well enough to be like oh well he's our best this other than if you could think about the applied athleticism he's not their best shooter you know they have Jalen Suggs who's a wonderful athlete and a better defender than Hampton and so you don't you so the impetus for giving him a lot of time for making him a developmental focus is not really there for now I I would love for him to play well enough to make that different, but I don't think that's going to happen. Let's go to the Philadelphia 76ers. Philly did not have a first round pick because they traded it for De'Anthony Melton, a deal that I wholeheartedly supported and still continue to. Who on the Sixers do you think is worth kind of worth really
0: discussing here let's go through through a a couple of guys that we're pretty familiar with at this point we don't need to spend a lot of time on Paul Reed we've seen a ton of him at the G League level where he's been insanely productive and looked like that as well here you know just does a lot more scoring than he's going to do for the big team there's really very little that he can prove at this level because he's almost too good for this level that he's not going to be doing the things that you expect to see him doing at the NBA level as a backup center where he's switching trying to be disrupted defensively finishing around the rim so there just wasn't much to take away from Paul Reed and then Isaiah Joe he's so dependent on being able to hit shots he's so thin out of Arkansas I mean I've always liked his offensive game he can definitely bomb it from the outside he's always going to be thin defensively like you can't really prove much as a guard defensively in summer League hopefully he can get a Little bit stronger, but probably you know maybe he'll be in competition with Furcon Korkmaz for the back of the rotation.
1: Well and um, and Isaiah Joe, I mean incredibly efficient overall in summer league. Yeah. Sixty eight percent true shooting on twenty two usage because of that twenty of thirty-eight from three. That is great volume. That is also making you know making fifty three percent of them is pretty good. But also Isaiah Joe in that took a ton of threes, made a lot of threes, also only got to the line eight times in 120 minutes. You'd like to see that a little bit higher. I think he's a curiosity. I think, you know, like the, the, the theory of Isaiah Joe is that he could shoot well enough to kind of make some of this stuff work. But because Joe is six foot three and skinny, you're just kind of like, OK, well, what's he going to be defensively? Is he good enough offensively to make all this stuff work? And like I'm not comparing them necessarily as players but like that is part of what makes Duncan Robinson so intriguing. Or you could say Max Drews, who's more who's a little bit stout where it's like okay they can even if he, they're Struis is better defensively but like duncan Robinson is not the greatest defender at least he has enough size that you can put him on different kinds of guys
0: yeah and then treble and queen who is a, I think 300 000 guaranteed for this year was on a two-way last year with the rockets liked him just in one garbage time game that i saw I finished up a, as the g league mvp but he just had an atrocious summer league big problem for him was the three ball wasn't going down at all 11 of 44 from downtown did get on the the glass a little bit and for his player type at, at three assists a game wasn't too bad but 30 turnovers in seven games it was pretty rough fouled a lot as well it just really unimpressive summer league performance for me he, he was a guy i thought might be able to come in and potentially he even seize a, a back end rotation spot and that was he completely disappointed uh, and, in and- nearly all aspects
1: Kind of along those lines, at least for me, Jaden Springer, Oof. who the Sixers took with the 28th pick in 21, and maybe think about this a second. This is a first-round pick last year that we're putting this. I mean, we're kind of going through them in a little jumbled order. One of 12 from three, 38% from two, did get to the line 25 times, but just wasn't efficient enough. And also, Springer, part of the sales pitch for him going out of Tennessee was being a defensive playmaker, and he didn't do enough defensive playmaking for me.
0: Yeah, Springer. Only- Only played less than six minutes in two games with the big club a year ago, and uh, you'll recall... I think he was drafted 27th last year that he's about six four, young good athlete more so off of two feet than one foot strong guy kind of the big skill early on was this rugged defensive guard but I, as you mentioned you know he didn't impress like so much i mean there's as a six four guard there's only so much that you're going to be able to do if you can't do anything offensively and other than getting out in transition on occasion he just didn't show the ability to do anything offensively and And that's that's a problem that his jump shot just still looks very slow, very mechanical, takes him forever to get it off, passing up shots. So it's really, it's rare that Daryl Morey has had just like total draft misses, but I honestly just don't really see what the path is going to be for Springer, particularly because it doesn't seem like he's improved a ton on the offensive end in this first year of his development.
1: And just walking through that part of the draft, it is, I mean, Springer does seem like a miss to me at this point, but... The guys taken immediately after him, De'Ron Sharp, Santi Aldama, who looked better. We talked about him previously. Isaiah Isaiah Todd, Jeremiah Robinson-Earl, Jason Preston, who's been injured. We talked about him recently. And and Joakobitis- who hasn't played in the NBA yet? There are better guys after that, like Herb Jones and and Deuce McBride, I think, and Dasunmu have looked better. But it's a weird section where it's like you know, I, it is a miss for Maureen, and that's not justified. You could always take somebody who's who's better. But it is there is, every once in a while. There's like this low area in the draft, and I just found that compelling.
0: Yeah. Then the last guy, uh, probably the one that I was most interested to see in terms of gathering some information about him was Charles Bassey because he does have this pretty decent NBA center physical profile that checks all the boxes there he'll likely be in competition with Paul Reed at least during the regular season for that backup center spot and Bassey isn't the quickest leaper but he can get up there when he loads up is able to get some alley-oops or some big dunks um, he also showed some decent touch on short range floaters, was trying to explore the studio space with like some post ups and mid rangers. And, you know, that's nice. We won't be seeing that at the NBA level, or <laughs> certainly hope that we won't be at this point in time. Defensively, uh, there wasn't, you know, he's big around the rim. He can get some rebounds if he's in position, can bother guys but he's not the level of like natural shot blocker that some of the other guys are evaluating like for example you compare him to say Christian Coloco uh, who we'll talk about later on the Raptors you know and he's not that level of shot blocker doesn't really cover the ground quite as well you know i'd say Bassie has average mobility for the center position um you know he's got a little bit of shooting potential but like i mentioned he's not going to be taking long twos or stretching it out to three anytime soon with the big club and i, I did think that he had like pretty decent hands underneath making catches so that's going to be an important aspect he'll he'll probably play some in pick and roll with James Harden you know that'll be a big part of the evaluation of whether he or Reed works better on that second unit playing pick and roll with Harden and um, so I, I would say pr- based on what I saw Bassey will probably be behind Reed in the competition this year and he's you know behind Reed in terms of just uh, his overall development just because he's younger uh so, you know, this was, it was okay. You know, you saw some dunks, you saw a few shot blocks. But nothing that made me think like, oh, this guy's going to be some great option as a backup center for the Sixers necessarily. Do you have anything to add on him, or should we just move on?
1: Not really. Um, I'm wondering how Morey wants to handle. So the Rockets right now they have twelve fully guaranteed guys, and they have
0: Sixers. N- Sixers. Sixers. Sorry, Daryl Morey Six- is now <laughs> It's allegedly easy to say Rockets. It's they, they're basically are the Rockets with some of the signings. They
1: they they honestly are, and so so Philly has twelve fully guaranteed contracts. You know. Harden, which is, I think it got finalized on Thursday. And then they have this group of non-guarantees and mostly light partial guarantees of Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed, Treveling Queen, and Charles Bassey. They theoretically could bring other people into camp and everything else. Is there a player in that group that you think is on the shakiest ground?
0: I mean, you'd have to say you know queen does have this 300k guarantee and they're probably going to maybe they want to be on 14 players just because of the hard cap issues and maybe wanting to stay below there Harden has signed his deal of course now we'll have to see the what the exact numbers come in at on that so i mean i think based on performance you might say queen springer i mean i honestly like i would consider just declining his option and waiving him like i just don't think there's any possible way he can help them this year and the chances of him doing so in the future are not particularly high but i I think we'll just see what it looks like uh, in camp but i think if i out of some of these guys and, and you know maybe if Isaiah Joe is playing really well, you could also he guarantees fully at the first game of the season. so that, that'll be interesting. that's probably something I'll talk more about uh, in the season outlook for the sixers. Uh, but I,
1: but know. i would I would still rather talk about the end of philly's roster all day than talk about the Phoenix Sun Summer League team.
0: Yeah and that's why we're not going to. let's move on to Portland
1: and Portland unfortunately, we can't talk about as much as we wanted. um small sample shade and sharp is continuing that it sucks he had an arm injury in the detroit yeah, sh- game
0: shoulder to be specific he had a small labrum tear it doesn't sound like anything that's going to require surgery he's supposed to be reevaluated in two weeks and you know i'm sure we won't hear a single thing about it until camp but you know uh, i i mean did you we were there in person that first night did you have any just preliminary impressions uh, about him
1: i mean the, he missed a couple shots early but that can be jitters you know it's uh, anything else then he did have one i think it was was it a was it a back down a turnaround that looked pretty good
0: yeah he had like a nice drive along the baseline and then spin back over his right shoulder on the right baseline the, that looked pretty pure they ran the first play for him to come off a screen and shoot a three on the move uh, that missed it was a pretty difficult attempt had uh, one try really one attack where he tried to get by Jaden ivy and couldn't do it. I, I just I thought his overall effort level was pretty good, like sprinting back in transition, which is kind of a, a question about him, you know, because he has doesn't have any high level experience. So I, I thought in that six minutes he looked like he played hard. Let's move on to someone that I actually thought Danny changed my opinion about him for the better more than just about anyone in summer league. That was Keon Johnson.
1: Keon Johnson had the ball in his hands a lot more on the Summer League champion Portland Trailblazers, and Johnson.
0: Yeah, they got rings too, Danny. They
1: got they got rings too. The 21st pick in the 21 draft by the Clippers and then got traded in the Powell-Covington deal. and
0: yeah, a, a deal for which Portland came under a lot of criticism and for not getting a first-round pick. And number one, I didn't think Norm Powell's five-year deal at $18 million a year was like some great contract and Covington wasn't expiring. And to get Johnson back, and also they saved a bunch of money in that deal too. So to get Johnson back, there weren't first-round picks available it seems like for either of those guys um they got off of Powell, you know, I think by the end of Powell's contract, we may be saying like, oh, they did pretty well there and they got Johnson. And so my position was, hey, if Keon Johnson works out, Portland fans should be really happy about this trade. And I think he's started to show that that's a possibility for him now.
1: I would agree. And Keon Johnson, 14 points, four rebounds, two assists, about two steals a game in the five he participated in, made his threes at a reasonable rate, you know, 33%. And yeah. and,
0: and was taking some pretty difficult ones. I, yeah, I would say. The, a lot of off the dribble ones and, and it looked good i thought it, the, the jump shot looked very solid mechanically
1: i would agree and also you know the so the overall pick and roll numbers 40 including passes 41 points on 39 pick and roll possessions over a point per possession that's good in pick and roll and i i was surprised that he was so inefficient in transition but I don't think they you know we're dealing with a small number of possessions here. I'm not going to go too much. Oh, I didn't mention it. Keon Johnson, 6'5", 186 listed measurements. So he's you know it,
0: yeah, he, EDA, he put some weight on though. He, he looked, has. He definitely look better there.
1: Yeah, he did. Um, and so I, I would say um, the most important takeaway for me, other than showing some facility running the ball, was that Johnson looked more confident in his jump shot than he did last year. Or I mean, Johnson only played one year in college at Tennessee, but he was twenty seven percent on like fifty three point and you know you only take 53s that's like less than two a game when you have the ball in your hands a fair amount when he was at, at ut or i can't remember if they're which which abbreviation tennessee uses um but so yeah i thought he looked he looked more like an nba player than i had seen before extremely encouraging
0: uh, and you you mentioned the jump shot which of course is going to be a really important aspect uh, for him you know he's not going to be as much of an on-ball player with the the big team this year although he did maybe show that that could be something that's more in his future but i thought his passing actually was really going to only average two assists which i was surprised to see but i thought he had some really nice dimes of like hitting the roll man slipping out of plays uh you know finding spot up shooters uh, as well so thought that looked pretty good out of pick and roll and just the the confidence with, with his handle i mean he looked like totally comfortable bringing the ball up running pick and roll and it wasn't getting pressured up too much even against those knicks guards in, in the championship game who, who really uh, caused some problems defensively for other teams uh you know, I had a, a, some nice moves where he would reject the screen, get in the lane as well. Uh, he did turn it over a massive amount. I mean, that was the one thing that is to be expected for a, a guy expanding his game in this way. Uh, had some nice spin moves, a little floater game, some uh, as well. And then defensively, really liked the way that he got over screens. He was able to, he is skinny, but he was able to get skinny uh, over these screens. Uh, I think that's maybe how he. might be able to earn more of a role early on here because Portland they're going to have Yusuf Nurkic probably in a drop coverage a lot of the time and so finding a guy who can be on the ball get over screens well I thought he did well denying out on the floor and it forced some turnovers that way uh had some nice plays defensively against Quinton Grimes in that championship game uh, denying him coming off those screens we talked about in the last episode that's uh, how Grimes was able to be effective in summer league had a, a nice play where he just denied an inbounds and got a deal so i thought his effort level was good it really just a, a lot to like here and yeah you know maybe you can't conclude that you know his jumper is going to be really good based on this you know, even if he did show some versatility to it but yeah r- really a, a guy who had shown extremely little coming in basically didn't play for the clippers was hurt and then it was out there for the blazers helping them tank after that you know i was very pleased and, and Nate, you there. want to know reason you'll like
1: keon johnson even more and i think you'll just remember this for the rest of your life he was born in shelbyville tennessee
0: (laughs) actually oh damn all right i uh his birthday i thought he had the same birthday as me but it's actually six days earlier so uh and and also uh 22 years later (laughs) um a couple of quick ones here Didi luzada was someone we saw at the hoop summit i think now three years ago brazilian uh, was drafted early in the second round uh, with i think with one of the picks that they got in the trade for the number four pick that they got in the ad trade from the hawks which i think the hawks actually got from the kyle corver trade to cleveland but uh luzada had we thought he had a pretty good physical profile and a rugged defender had some ball handling needed to work on his shooting unfortunately he's had some knee injuries that have set him back he was i think more just salary flotsam in the deal from new orleans and i noted my one note from him from that detroit game was not really looking to attack didn't stand out in any way and then i looked at the stats it's he incredible. 8% usage over two games and and and,
1: and <laughs> they, that 8%, that 8% usage is higher than his true shooting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it, he his he true is shooting six his, his true shooting was 1 of was, 2 from the foul line.
1: His true so Didi was 8.5% usage, 7.3% true shooting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and amazingly he is actually fully guaranteed for this year. They are into the tax by 1.3 million he makes 1.9 so yeah i think they'll be uh and i think probably sooner rather than later maybe even in training camp just paying someone cash to just yeah. take him
1: and- sometimes in these circumstances we saw Maury do this when he was on the Rockets you hold that player longer so that you pay a higher proportion of the contract as Portland I would push them to do it earlier because then you can bring in somebody who's better than Lozada and and they have enough depth in their rotation especially with some of these players that have stepped up you know Keon Johnson and everything else but that would be a big help I want to talk a little bit about Jabari Walker Walker somebody that I was unfamiliar with played at Colorado was the second round pick it was 59th overall so second-to-last pick in the draft, actually Samaki Walker's son, which I didn't know until the the second I just read this on Basketball Reference. And Walker, we talked about him because he was such a success story, got a fully guaranteed contract at League, but I was very impressed with him. I thought that Walker, he had some nice help blocks. He was able to make jump shots at a higher rate than Walker did at Colorado. Well, well,
0: quickly, quickly, before you do that, sure. what's uh, his physical profile oh, sure. look like? What position does he play? All that.
1: So he's a forward, six nine, two fifteen. Um, and this will be his age twenty season. Played two years at Colorado.
0: Yeah. So, so what were you were starting to get into? What you liked about him?
1: I, I liked the I liked Walker's intensity. I thought he played. He ran the floor hard. He had some nice blocks. And he also like so he impacted the game. And then also like the I mean, it wasn't like mechanically perfect or anything like that. But I didn't see anything like hugely wrong. And, and Walker as a jump shooter at Colorado was fine. You know, it wasn't wasn't as good as, you know, the six of 14 that Walker was overall. But I mean, I just thought he was a good player.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, he's. A little bit thicker maybe than your normal combo forward. You know, it doesn't look that athletic out there, but as you mentioned, like does have a knack for coming over and making some shot blocks. The six of 14 from three, it kind of shoots a, takes a while to get it off. It's a high archer, but he was 40% from three over his college career, uh, although that was only on about 2.5 attempts per game uh you mentioned how good he was in transition running the floor he's just got good hands uh i thought one of the things that was probably the most impressive about him was even though he's not an elite athlete just the way he's able to finish around the rim with good touch using his body he was uh, very good on the offensive glass and could put those back even if you know he wasn't right under the basket and he had a body on him he was still able to pump fake find an angle put it back in so so that was pretty good uh he worked exclusively off the ball basically spot ups offensive rebounds transition but showed enough defensively where i think he can move his feet adequately maybe won't be elite in in that aspect for a a combo forward size guy but just found a ways to be really really effective in this setting i mean for a guy who was drafted as you mentioned with the second to last pick of the second round because we only had 58 picks this year to come come in and put up 75% true shooting in five games and uh, was just a great rebounder as a on the offensive glass but also a 28% defensive rebounds had some blocks and steals didn't really take anything off the table from like a turnover standpoint so yeah it is quite rare for a guy like this to get a fully guaranteed NBA contract and then also 400,000 guaranteed for next year as well
1: yeah it's true I'd say the next place to probably go is Greg Brown Blazers second round pick last year fully guaranteed contract for 22 23 and his bounce has always been intriguing Brown gets up for some for for some real dunks I've wondered about what his ideal position is does he have the chops defensively to play center because if he's you know like a uh, kind of a, a tweener power forward that that player is always hard but I think we saw some signs
0: yeah Brown seven foot wingspan 811 standing reach uh, measured 206 at the combine in 2021 looks like he's gotten a little bit stronger there he looks pretty big out there and he'll come in just for some massive dunks big alley-oops i mean he basically from a skill level standpoint on the, the offensive end is a center doesn't have the heft to really battle in the post on the other end but it can make some plays and also can move his feet defensively i think that his possible way of contributing I don't think he projects to necessarily be in the rotation but I expect Portland to do a fair amount of switching on their second unit where they'll have Gary Payton the second and and maybe Josh Hart maybe they'll play Grant and Little together and you know maybe they just go without a center and do a bunch of switching and so maybe Jabari Walker maybe Greg Brown can fit into that where they'll just have kind of this more speed defensive unit on the second group and, and Maybe he can fit there as a switch center defensively. Who can also crush some dunks around the rim on offense. But ideally, he could improve his skill level enough to play the four, where his defense would be probably even more useful. But he's not close there. He only took two three pointers in summer league, and and again played exclusively as an inside player. Uh, another guy who plays is undersized, plays an inside player is Trendon Watford. I he had a nice summer league. I heard some things about oh he like he could be in. The rotation for them potentially, you know, I'm just not sure that I see that with them. He does have a 7-2 wingspan, 8-9 standing reach. So that's you know decent size for a power forward, but he was only two of 15 on jump shots. Takes him a long time to get that off. It's slow release. uh Maybe maybe he can make shots with time and space, but it's certainly well below average. So uh, the thing, though, that I also made me kind of skeptical, though, about really his ability to contribute was, you know, athletically he's not doesn't have the type of pop you would want for someone who's this undersized and is mostly going to be playing inside. Portland is going to have to deal
1: with reconciling the players who really who who played real minutes for them as they were trudging through the end of last year and Watford started 10 games for them.
0: Well, with, I don't know. I don't know if we can call them real minutes.
1: No, and that's exactly where I was getting is like so for the so and now the Blazers it looks like they're transitioning into trying to be as competitive as they can be and so you can have a couple guys like like Watford on the team and nobody's going to nail all 15 roster spots there but the idea that to me that he could be in a rotation on a team that is looking for something significantly different than what they were last year I didn't see that personally from from Watford and then I think the last guy that we can discuss well well,
0: quickly in terms of what he does do well you know he can catch the ball in the mid post Mm -hmm. rip through he could finish okay around the rim given his athletic limitations uh it has a pretty good handle can uh, attack facing the basket reasonably well good rebounder but you know it doesn't have like he can get get to
1: the line a little bit too
0: yeah yeah just doesn't have a ton of pop uh, on defense Uh, again i mean if he could like i think he could survive offensively as a center if he could also give you something protecting the rim but that's just not something that i've seen a ton of from him sorry who who are you going to move on to brendan williams yeah your
1: your guy uh williams
0: yeah maybe not anymore
1: (laughs) So he he'll turn 23 in in November. And so that means you're kind of you're kind of looking for something different. The six foot two 190 out of Arizona and showed us some showed us some stuff last year on a two way.
0: Yeah, but he had some some big games, efficient games. Got to the line. Like I think he had a big game against Minnesota with twenty seven. But overall, the efficiency was well below fifty percent true shooting for the big team last yeah, year.
1: Was below fifty percent in part because Williams couldn't make his threes. He was at twenty nine percent last year with the big club, and then was twenty eight percent last year with the with the G League team, and so. You have to do, you know. You have to do a lot. He's, he's an intriguing passer. had some real had some nice ones. Had a couple of, a couple of defensive plays, but to me, he's not. He's not not creating an advantage enough is it maybe as much the problem as converting the advantage
0: can be yeah I, I think that's a very fair way to put it you know he definitely has nba athleticism he can get separation knows how to run pick and roll when he's out there you know you're not just like watching him like oh this guy can't do anything like he definitely can it's just it hasn't found a way to be efficient other than you know, getting to the foul line at an above average rate um you know again with him about to be 23 in november you know my hope was that he could evolve into a solid Scoring backup point guard, but the ball's just going to need to go in the basket for him for that to happen. Let's move on now to Sacramento and Keegan Murray. It's funny because one of my first notes about him as I saw him at the beginning of the game in San Francisco, and I probably watched more games of him than any other player because they were here and that summer league kind of sucked. So I was pretty focused on him was that he's not ever going to look his best in this setting because he kind of operates more within a system, off the ball. You need guys to be looking for him, et cetera. But I was wrong. He did look fantastic in this setting.
1: Keegan Murray, absolutely did and averaged 22 points, 7.5 rebounds, 1.3 steals, 1.4 assists in 31 minutes a game and did it on an incredibly efficient 65% true shooting on 27% usage. And remember, summer league ecosystems are not always the most friendly for efficiency-based numbers. And for me, the, the, the two big takeaways early on in that first the first game I saw in person, you know, I watched a little bit of the San Francisco Summer League. I was not there in person like you were, But in Vegas was one Keegan Murray absolutely has NBA power forward side. Like I was like, okay, there you go. That's his position. He's a four. But the second thing was that Murray's jump shot to me looked much smoother than it did at Iowa. And I was like, oh boy, like it looked good at Iowa, but it looked better. And when you, you know, the, the synergy numbers on it are fantastic. Overall, Keegan Murray, 71 points on 60 jump shots. And if you want to narrow it out, he did over a point per possession, basically in the 1.1 high 1.1 low 1.2 range on both catch and shoot and jump shots off the dribble like this is a guy who just scored the goddamn basketball for sacramento in seven games this isn't the uh, two games you know did super well and then they sat him No, he played in seven summer league games
0: yeah and deservedly uh on the all summer league team um he he did it mostly in the ways that we thought he would coming out you know it was not much self-created he did a little bit more in isolation as as time went on i think there was one game i can't remember who it was against where uh he actually discussed it i want to say it was after the game or, or maybe actually it was one of the coaching staff that got interviewed at halftime it was like yeah you know we're gonna challenge him to like attack more off the dribble in this game and he was he was able to be effective at that he's not really blowing by anyone off the dribble but he could kind of get to a spot and like get a decent floater up or something like that and, and he has good touch was able to make that some Uh, But really, you know, it was spotting up, transition, coming off of screens, where that was something that he said he was really working on in the pre-draft process, was shooting more on the move from three. And as as you mentioned, that looked pretty good. You know, and I think for a Sacramento team that has Sabonis, you've got De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes can do some on-ball stuff too. You know, he should just fit in so seamlessly on the offensive end uh also just has great facility as a cutter as well where where he can finish some um, we didn't see him as much in the post, or he's the most efficient high volume post up guy in the NCAA. But I think like quick duck ins, particularly if Sabonis is out on the floor, could be something that they do a little bit more out of as well. We didn't see him quite as much on the offensive glass either, which you know a lot of times that's something that's going to wane at the NBA level compared to college. Y- you mentioned his jump shooting. I mean that it was so good that it, it's going to be a little bit over his head. I, I don't. It think ha- it has be to be because if
1: he's if he's yeah. that kind of shooter moving forward, then he's a star at least like. Like a low-level star.
0: Yeah, that's probably right. But I think he should. No, certainly, I I believe in him being high thirties shooter on like some pretty good volume some more difficult attempts i mean he just definitely was very aggressive from threes Had no problems whatsoever with the nba line like i think i was higher on him this is another one of these guys as i mentioned earlier i was higher on him coming into summer league than i think a lot of people were he was higher on my board like i had him above ivy which i think very few people would have and now i think it's a little bit like okay like he shot the shit out of the ball i don't know if how real that's gonna be necessarily and you know he, he is a little bit older i thought defensively i i'm not gonna say i was disappointed but i thought he was slow afoot like i don't think he's necessarily gonna be a plus there we didn't see some of the help defense from him that we saw in college at times so i think he averaged like two blocks a game in college right i believe that's correct yes 1.9 his sophomore year yeah and again as a reminder you know he, i think he's 21 already yeah 21 this will be keegan Murray's age
1: 22 season
0: yeah but obviously i uh, he came in and did anything that you could have hoped for him based on the type of player he was I mean I I felt this is when we're seeing him again I don't think he's gonna be quite this level of shooter but everything else it just was exactly what I was hoping to see from him I said that he was one of the guys I enjoyed watching the most just because of the way he's able to score off the ball without needing the ball and even to be able to do that at the summer league level when there's so little continuity I thought was just really impressive really enjoyed watching him and uh looking forward to seeing him in this Sacramento offense uh, and hopefully Mike Braun is gonna implement some even more Warriors principles than they've had. They've got Sabonis to set him up. Like I think it's gonna look really good.
1: I the only the only negative I mean you talked about it a little bit is that I mean just as a practical consideration, this is more about Sabonis than it is in some ways about keegan Murray. I hoped we'd see more defensively. Summer League not always the greatest yeah display piece there. And so if it's you know if it's Murray and Sabonis as your back line, that might be a little bit harder, but that's okay. And the other yeah, players you know,
0: that- I, I will say i thought murray for all of uh, his offensive fireworks did look like a little bit less pop athletically than i was hoping to see that does put more heat on the jump shot you know more pressure that it has to be at a high level uh, only but- had three shot blocks uh, uh, yeah. well
1: yeah i think that's fair um but let's talk a little bit about nemish kata who was the 39th pick in 21
0: i think it's i think it's Nemius, by the
1: way. i i was i'm reading the pronunciation on basketball reference so they oh, might have gotten right. it wrong
0: well but, then uh yeah then, then maybe i have it wrong <laughs> I, I think and, i'm parroting the the announcer to
1: say the that. yeah and it's also possible the basketball reference has it wrong but so kata the first my first note is just all capital letters b-i-g he's just a big dude listed at seven oh, yeah. foot 245 out of utah state and um born in Portland. Portugal. And I thought that it's just like he's a big dude, and but I think he moves. You know, moves pretty well, like not not, you know, like otherworldly. I mean, the guy was a second round pick last year. But I, you know, I I think he can do he can do some things offensively. There were some times where he was moving guys around the basket and also, you know, had some shot blocks was, you know, two blocks a game, 1.1 steals per game. I I mean, Sacramento over the years has had some challenges figuring out backup center. Incidentally, as long as they have Rashawn Holmes still on this team and remember Rashawn Holmes is still on this team, they don't necessarily need as much from the basket backup five and they still have alex len on a fully guaranteed contract but i think he ah, can play
0: yeah uh, more of a backup center and you know a, in certain matchups but takes up a ton of space around the room when guys challenged him he would definitely embarrass them at times Yeah, i thought his help instincts were solid but not amazing there are a few drives where maybe he could have come over more quickly didn't do so um you know he definitely is more mobile than he kind of looks out there like he's a little bit knock knee he's got those val, val- knees where he kind of it's a little awkward out there just standing around but he moves better than you would think with that he, he had a couple of nice post moves as well he had a little bit of jump hook uh, finishing game can get up for some alley-oops uh, if needed finish some offensive rebounds and some dunks and you know, he's one of the biggest centers that's out there in this summer league setting and um, he'll be back on a two-way this year and, and maybe we'll be brought up to the big club if uh, as you mentioned that center log jam dissipates i want to ask you this about san antonio we didn't see Jeremy Sohan play because he, he got COVID right before uh, during like the summer league training camp. They got three shooting guards now in their pipeline. The three main guys on the summer league team, Josh Primo, Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham. Who do you like the most of those guys long-term after seeing this summer? league?
1: I think Branham looked the best in summer league, but I think part of the reason he looked better is because they asked Primo to do things that he isn't as great at doing. And Branham was asked to, you know, take catch and shoot Johnson did a very good job of that. So I would say I mean Wesley to me is third and between the other two I think I'll go Primo one Branham on the idea that Primo can be better in other circumstances.
0: It's interesting that that I asked this question and it, I, I most of the commentary that I heard about Blake Wesley was frustration and I certainly understand that. He had 14 shots blocked in this summer league and I think he was only 7 to 21 around the rim. So I think most of his misses yes. around the rim he, he got blocked. I mean
1: Wesley was 20% on twos overall.
0: Yeah, I don't care. I I actually... Now, I don't know if he has the highest medium outcome of those three. This guy's got some juice. He does have some obviously, juice. Obviously, his shooting was terrible. But just the 29% usage, he just explodes off the dribble and i think he's a pretty good athlete he can get up for some big dunks at times he's thin but he's young you know he's still only 19 only played one year at notre dame grew up in south bend indiana i feel really bad for him about that he's got a lot to overcome there but i think i like wesley the most out of those three guys that they have at shooting guard his handle is really solid like if he rejects a screen he can get on top of the rim in a hurry and i also was very impressed with wesley's passing and i thought he showed the best passing vision out of those three guys by quite a bit and he has enough burst to get on top of the room where he wasn't always making the greatest decision as mentioned because he got so many of these shots blocked but he can actually force some help and then set up his teammates pretty well uh and just his handle looked pretty good he was able to get to spots on the floor once he gets a little bit better at changing speeds i think that could look really good and in terms of the jump shot for him what did you make of that i i thought it actually looked projectable
1: that's actually where i would have started on the argument for Blake wesley i mean based on what we saw in summer league is that yeah i thought the jump shot looked it looked pretty good i mean so if you want to use the just general three stats 34% on 32 total three-pointers if you want to use the synergy version he was 1.26 points per possession on catch and shoots that's good and why I'm lower on Wesley I I think that there's the guy creating an advantage and then doing something with it I you're I think you're a little more optimistic on his passing not that it was bad but just like where it's going to go so my thought is with Wesley I think he's going to be limited defensively I don't think he's going to be good enough on ball other than maybe in a reserve role to trust him with that and whereas like I I I, I like Branham. I think that he can be a little bit more – he can be better defensively, potentially, potentially, potentially and i i think his jump shot is a little bit more projectable and then with primo he didn't look at necessarily in summer league okay, but i think
0: i finished up uh, on wesley here of sure, course quickly? so it, you it's another stat on the passing right it, as again this is a guy who's like supposed to be a shooting guard and I, I actually think it's possible that they might be able to convert him into you know if not a pure point guard like a, a combo guard guy who can be a, a primary ball and again a long long way to go for sure uh but with his passing for a guy most of these guys guys you know come out reputation as a scorer etc if you look at the numbers of like how many times did they shoot out a pick and roll versus how many times did they make a pass you know you'll see two-thirds shooting 75 percent of the time shooting he was basically about equal 35 attempts uh, either turnovers or shot attempts out of pick and roll 32 passes and I thought he was actually really good setting up shooters uh, as well out of that so yeah I mean the passing vision jump shot looks fine just has a lot of explosion off of one foot you know when he learns a little bit more euro step game ability to slow down at the rim you know finishing at the rim is one of the things that is most easily improved particularly if you have athleticism you know I, I could see Wesley maybe playing kind of along the lines of like how Victor Oladipo played but in his good days with the pacers being like that type of of a player maybe he's not quite on that level as an athlete but i think he's pretty close at least on the offensive end so yeah you're you're gonna move on to primo now at this point
1: we can move on to primo and i think that a lot of this was you know i talked about putting players in a position to succeed and the spurs came into summer league with three guys that i think are better off ball than on ball and the and primo i mean he got on ball reps on the on the big squad last year and he's Probably gonna get a whole heck of a lot more now that DeJounte Murray is in Atlanta. The numbers on that part of it are are pretty real as a scorer in pick and roll, seven points on sixteen pick and roll possessions gets a lot better, better from real bad. Yeah. He was one of
0: eleven from the field out of pick and roll. Did did get fouled at least a little bit.
1: But yeah. But Primo, I, I still think that his, you know, like if if the goal is to have him just be, you know, a cog within the offense who can be more of a secondary playmaker than a primary one. I still I think his jump shot is 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 fine i think that he has interesting i mean he's not like a dominant athlete but i think that he is you know, like he, he can do some things there and, you know, it's, uh, so I, I'm always sympathetic to a player that I believe has tools, but is miscast. Um, that, but that's just the way I am.
0: Yeah. It's certainly uh, as a, a pick and roll guy, like he, he doesn't, to me, have the athleticism to get to the basket. He got to the part of the reason why he shot so poorly out of pick and roll is was he wasn't able to get all the way to the rim. That spot up jumper is wet though. Definitely looked really good. He's not at the point yet where he really can just like fly off of screens and shoot it but if he's open or like slightly on the move uh you you feel like it's got a pretty damn good chance of going in that that's something that could be kind of his premium skill also uh, recall that Primo is one of the youngest players in the draft, and doesn't turn 20 until December 24th. He's basically seven days away from being the youngest possible player that you can be when you're drafted. uh You know, I think his footwork is pretty good as a shooter right now. In his isolations, he couldn't really get by anyone against Golden State, so that was one of the games I watched. He only played two of them. uh You know, I think due to his limited athleticism, he's always going to be more of a secondary guy and kind of a shooter off the ball and the the you know i think he's going to be a, at best a two position defender just again doesn't have the athleticism to really be an impact guy on the defensive end so i think his path to becoming like a really high level or even just a, an average starter is you know he's really got to just make a lot of shots and i think he's he's on the path well, to doing that before
1: we move on from primo i mean going back i mean so there's this stretch where there were four consecutive shooting guards and depending on how you want to count Corey. Kispert, you could argue five, but I think Kispert is more of a three than a four defense, or three than a two defensively, I guess, so you have book Knight, primo duarte and moody that were taken in that order and i mean i think it's hard knowing what we know right now to put for for me at least to put primo better i mean he's definitely not fourth because book Knight hasn't had the most impressive thing but it's also hard for me to put him above either
0: duarte or moody at this point yeah i think that's probably right and then the last of the three guys was malachi branham drafted 20th this year absolutely fantastic on catch and shoots 10 out of 22 68 percent EP field goal percentage, Uh, Branham again, kind of just a normal shooting guard size, about 6'5", and, you know, what is is his wingspan? I thought I had. Yeah, 6'10", wingspan. So shot the ball exceedingly well. From a athletic standpoint, it doesn't pop out very often, but every once in a while he can try to get up for some big dunks he likes to even try like dunking off of one foot with his left hand so he he almost crushed like two massive ones but he back rimmed it but those are uh, unless he gets ahead of steam going to the basket off of one foot you don't necessarily see that as much like he does shoot the jump shot from inside the arc uh but my concern with Branham was other than shooting the ball you just didn't see anything else from him
1: I mean the defensive playmaking was really not there Branham in one hundred and thirty. 39 minutes, three steals and one block. Which is not exactly throwing. Now that is more defensive playmaking than his teammate Josh Primo, who had a combined two steals and blocks in his time. But Primo only played in two games and Brandon played in five. So I guess that's actually pretty close. Um and so that's that's a concern. Brandon did have somewhat of a defensive reputation at Ohio State, but I have found in players that we watched on film versus, you know, college people sometimes sometimes that's more like you're a good defender in college than in the pros. I didn't see as much from him over, from from him in that respect i i want to see it you know in a larger sample overall so the catch and shoot's good and i i'm sympathetic to the other two guys i mean wesley's efficiency numbers were so much worse and and primo's as well where they like they they may be best suited at least temporarily in the role that Branham actually got to do but i would have liked to have seen more from him as well
0: yeah i'm not sure about wesley as much in that role uh but yeah Branham operated very little on the ball But didn't necessarily need to. I I think he he was spotting up transition. I actually had 15 possessions coming off screens, so he was uh, operating off the ball. There was efficient in that play type over a point per possession coming off a screen handoffs uh, as well. And so the three ball looked really good. You know, coming off a handoff like out of pistol action, that one two guard handoff and semi transition. He's comfortable pulling that three pointer immediately if his defender doesn't stay attached or they don't switch it immediately. So I, I think think his jump shot is going to come along and could be a a big weapon as early as this year the other thing he'll do offensively is kind of work into the mid-range and try to rise up over guys but I'm and that probably worked a little bit better in summer league than it will at the NBA level where guys are just going to have more size like I'm not sure unless he gets a lot stronger I'm not sure that he's going to be able to really like create enough space to have that be a good shot for him uh you know he doesn't have like that same rise that say like DeMar DeRozan Rosen does to get that mid-ranger off or, or anything like that but you know i think he can make that shot certainly if he can get it off um so yeah the jump shot looked really good the rest of it was uh pretty much non-existent at this point And then another guy i briefly wanted to discuss is dominic barlow who's a undersized center played for overtime elite last year was undrafted but i thought he actually just showed some shot blocking ability just a good understanding defensively played hard defensively um and showed some skill like he had a nice blow by on james wiseman off the dribble in the golden state game uh hit a late clock three which you know that wasn't what he was being asked to do but he was able to take it and make it so it's just a guy to keep an eye on here i think uh, what's his contractual set Barlow? Yeah. Uh, just two way. Yeah. Okay. So so I think he's someone who I, I liked more than yeah. most of these guys I saw in a two way well, just and, and shut out defensively.
1: Another guy I'll mention briefly, I didn't like him quite as much as Barlow, but Darius Days I thought looked pretty good on the Spurs. Six foot seven wing out of LSU, four year player, so he's already he's already twenty two or will turn twenty three before the start of the season. And he's now on the heat. He got ended up getting a two way for them.
0: Yeah, and he actually is a, uh, might be a fattest potential in disguise guy for Miami who obviously uh, are maybe the best at doing that. Let's turn to the Toronto Raptors. And I think the place to start there is with
1: Christian Coloco, the second round pick for the Toronto Raptors. And you know, we we wonder about these, you know, these kind of like raw, toolsy bigs and 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 where things can go, especially for especially in some ways for the Raptors. Coloco listed at 7-1 225 out of uh, originally Cameroon was the 33rd pick in the draft had put three years guy out of yeah
0: and seven five wingspan and nine five standing reach as well
1: and so you there are lots of different lanes for these kinds of bigs and you know, I, I I didn't see you know like this. I Maybe mean, he, he blocked 102 shots last year at zone at Arizona, and I thought that part looked good. So that's presumably going to be his calling card. You know, on yeah, on the big. I squad. mean,
0: I would say I am not. I had to go through every single roster to confirm this, but off the top of my head, he might have been the most impressive shot blocker that I saw in this summer.
1: And what's interesting about Colco is it was shot blocking, like kind of it was a mix of different things, but it wasn't like oh, he's a crazy ass. It was being a really good shot blocker.
0: Yeah, he also had nine steals and, and eleven blocks in his five games, and wasn't playing a, a ton of minutes necessarily either. But yeah, you mentioned him not being a great athlete on the offensive end. Like, yeah, if you throw the ball right up there to the rim, he could get some alley But he wasn't one of these guys who's just like absolutely getting up there and crushing it. I watched his offensive film first, and I was kind of like, yeah, you know, for this player type, like he's actually doesn't have quite as much pop as I was expecting. Uh, yeah,
1: coloco but, shot a Precious Achua esque thirty seven percent from the field in summer league.
0: Yeah, and part of that was he was trying to do some post-ups and and uh, take some jumpers and, and uh his problem on the offensive end is he's he has a pretty high base can't really move people on these post-ups and so I, I think he's hopefully they'll just not have him do that and just finish plays around the rim like i, I think that's going to be his ultimate destiny like he could get some post-ups and like some hook shots uh, off the glass on the right side every once in a while but uh, yeah you hope he could be more efficient but then i mean the shot blocking like it looks like either he's Completely beaten by the guy he's guarding or you know maybe in pick and roll he'll step up to the ball handler a little bit and the pass will go to the big a little bit behind him and he's got to recover and like he just does he comes out of nowhere his timing is incredible it just covers a ton of ground and you're just like shocked at some of these like it looks like the guy is wide open and all of a sudden Coloco will just come in from behind and he just has this incredible timing to get the ball right as it's about to hit the glass on some of these layups I I was just really really impressed by his level of shot blocking uh Armani Brooks very quickly is uh remember he came from Houston system last year undersized shooter type uh, about six foot six one but the problem is he didn't make shots he shot 38 percent in that cameo for Houston in the 21 season in about 20 games but then you know really since then hasn't shot it well he's been about 30 percent and obviously that's his raise on detra and he shot again poorly I think around 30 percent in this summer league so he's got to be a 40 percent guy stick and that hasn't happened for him in some time. And then uh how about uh, Delano Banton?
1: Banton, the 46th pick last year, 6'7", 203, originally from Toronto, played at Nebraska in college. And he had, I would say he in, intrigued a fair amount last year at different moments in time, kind of had some, you know, you don't have these many wings that can, that can actually play. And you wonder about kind of where, like for me, Banton, the swing skill for him, as it is for so many guys that size, is can he shoot reliably enough to get there? And I wish Banton had taken more than 13 threes in his four games, but they did go in, you know, six to 13 is 46%. That was good. And encouragingly, Banton got to the line a fair amount and those went in.
0: Yeah, so I, I think that's, that's encouraging for him. He wasn't playing the way that he would need to play with the big team, and, and you'll recall uh, he's kind of he's 23 already, but coming out of Nebraska and th- and then last year like he could dribble, be a defensive pass to, at six seven, but uh, was definitely not a guy who's going to shoot the ball. He's also he's got good lateral movement defensively, but he's also not really a great vertical athlete, not explosive as an attacker off the dribble either and so he was playing a lot of point guard and his pick and roll game did not look good i don't he shouldn't be asked to do that at the nba level like if he is going to dribble i think you kind of lead that to transition or maybe just bringing the ball up and then he's going to need to be more of an off-ball guy and as you mentioned you know i think the jumper does look improved yeah you know, i mean he was only 59 percent from the line and 26 percent from three on 51 attempts during the regular season so at least somewhat encouraging uh that it his jumper looked better as a, a pick and roll guy and in the half court he made some terrible decision I mean some of the worst passes you're ever going to see you know where the guy is just his intended target is just kind of jogging from the left corner to the right corner and so he's not even really open underneath he's not looking for the ball and then Banton will just throw it to him and not only is he not expecting it not only would he not be able to do anything if he did catch it, but it's also like five feet behind him as well. <laughs> like, you know, got a lot of passes deflected, uh, trying to to make plays up top. uh So, really, it could get out of control at times. I and mean, he averaged five turnovers a game, which was miserable. So, at the NBA level, it's really going to be more. already right, can dribble a little bit, maybe he can make some more basic passes, move the ball. But of course, is going to need to make shots to really be more than kind of a back end of rotation guy.
1: Disappointingly, Justin Champney, who has a partial guarantee, about about three hundred K, so similar to Banton for next year. The Raptors have this arsenal of those guys. Um he didn't play in summer league due to injury, and then that could be a transition into Utah, who their first round pick via trade, Walker Kessler, Auburn center, didn't play due to a toe injury, and that took a lot of the buzz out of the Utah summer league and put a lot more on the shoulders of Jared Butler. Butler was the Jazz second round pick last year; he was 40th, was the 40th pick. Um, got traded, at, you know, got it went through a couple of different moves, but he was a three year guy at Baylor, six three one. 95 and the sales pitch on Butler as I recall him coming out of Baylor was we'll see if he can if he can run an offense but he'll get into guys defensively is that still the sales pitch to you
0: yeah you know I don't know that it was really that he would get into guys defensively I mean obviously he played next to Davion Mitchell who who got a lot of the fireworks there I I don't remember that being I thought he had
1: I thought there was the idea that oh he could have done it but Davion Mitchell did it instead like the the like you know the bad boys pistons better but like the the
0: Isaiah Thomas maybe to joe to mitchell's joe dumars okay uh so so anyway regardless i i did think i mean i guess we should start with the big stuff first uh, for him and the other part of his reputation was that he could shoot pretty well and Mm -hmm. and, you know maybe was more of a combo guard score type and you know i think a lot of people are really disappointed in butler's summer league because he just shot it unbelievably poorly Yeah, I mean, the numbers on it are pretty rough for Butler. If you want to do jump shots
1: overall, 35 points on 52. So that's below 0.7 points per possession. And he was even you know, below average on catch and shoots, below average on jump shots off the dribble.
0: Yeah, and he was asked they didn't really have much in, in terms of creation. No. Uh, I would say the, the other guy in their backcourt, Leandro Balmaro, was even worse. We'll talk about him in a second. And you know, he was getting the threes up, I mean, 56 in six games, but you know, only made 21% of those. Most of them were off the dribble so that was a concern and then out of pick and roll nine out of 31 so many guys really struggling to be efficient so he he shot the ball extremely poorly and there's no getting around that but the hope is that he has enough uh, pedigree as a shooter where you could hope he can turn that around but I actually thought that other than his scoring I really liked everything else that I saw from him averaged seven assists a game and actually and again, for a guy who was like kind of supposed to be more of a combo guard than a pure point guard, actually passed it much more out of pick and roll. 52 passes to 43 scoring attempts out of pick and roll. You know, they didn't really have much as a, a, a role man, but uh, he was able to find shooters pretty well. And, and then, you know, this certainly was not a good jazz summer league. Uh and he actually shot it pretty well around the basket also. Yeah. I mean what were the so numbers there?
1: Butler eleven of eighteen on shots around the basket that's good for a guard for a 6-3
0: guard yeah Yeah, i'm on board and he's he's not a great athlete but he's got those speed one-handed nash layups when needed and so i I thought that wasn't too bad if he can start to make the jump shot with his passing and then you know he's not going to be a spectacular finisher but he can do enough i think to be a threat if he turns the corner in pick and roll and then defensively i thought he was nasty Uh, really good ability to pressure the ball he had 12 steals in six games and it had some variety in how he was getting those some of them just like knockaways pressuring the ball some of them in the passing lanes got into the ball got over screens so, you know, his big problem is just not, he was nine of 40 on jumpers off the dribble. At least all those are threes. But that was, if he could just make a few more of those or just be in a situation where he doesn't have to take as many jumpers off the dribble. Like, I think he actually, you know, he was kind of the anti Malachi Branham where he couldn't make a shot from the outside, but everything else for him, I, I thought, actually looked really good. So I, I think some people will look at those top nine num- numbers and his 40% true shooting and feel like he did poorly. I, I thought he had a good summer league. Well, and, and
1: it's always important to remember, like, we're just- dealing with these small sample sizes. Butler, he was a 38% three-point shooter over his three years at Baylor, on reasonably high volume. I'm going to care more about that. And 78% from the free throw line. I'm going to care a lot more about that than how he shot for a few games of summer league. And so, for so you know, if the biggest weakness is something that you think is going to, at bare minimum, regress to the mean, and the other things are more sustainable, that's definitely positive. However, a lot of those positives do not translate to his new teammate, Leandro Balmaro. Balmaro was... The 23rd pick in the 20 that was the 2020 draft and then didn't play in didn't play in the U.S. for that following year. And then eventually play, he, you know, he was on the Wolves roster last year. And in some ways, the biggest disappointment for Balmaro was just how little the Jazz entrusted him. I mean, basically, his most frequent use possession was spot ups. And Balmaro was very, he, he was not effective, you know, passing or really scoring on ball did make his catch and shoots at a relatively reasonable rate. But I mean, you want him to do more than that in summer league as a 21 year old who's about to turn 22 too, like you want to see somebody who's not just like a spot-up shooter.
0: Yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise to me because I I know Mike Schmitz was pretty high on him in the 2020 draft and he was named the most spectacular player in the ACB league and really just did absolutely nothing for the Wolves last year. A team that didn't, you know, they had somewhat of an unsettled situation at backup point guard. I think that that was what I thought he was supposed to be is really more of a a point guard, but but who had some size and, you know, maybe he could kind of be this like proto Ricky Rubio type of guy and, you know, only 10 assists in five games in summer league um you know he definitely knows how to play like he can move a little bit without the ball uh but when he was trying to attack he just forced a lot of jumpers from mid-range which he really wasn't able to get great separation for he was also vulnerable when dribbling to pressure from smaller guards uh he struggled a ton to finish like in transition he was atrocious Uh, like just really ghastly numbers two points on 15 possessions in transition yikes with five turnovers uh, so yeah, I mean, off the ball, he was reasonably effective six to 16 from three, you know, maybe driving close odds, he could do a little something and kind of step into the lane and, and make a few plays, uh, on defense. You know, I think he's got pretty decent length, uh, can bother guys some there a, a little bit. He showed a pretty good understanding of rotations. You know, one thing that stuck out to me, a rotation you wouldn't normally see in summer league was he, he closed out to the top of the key, got beat. And then instead of just following the guy, he knew someone was stepping up so he sprints all the way to the weak side corner and picks up the pass that went to the weak side corner and was there when the guy caught it so he's got some intelligence for sure but uh on the ball he's not as good you know doesn't really get over screens particularly well i think he's more he's going to be active in the passing lanes you know maybe an irritant take some charges and stuff uh but i just don't see the path to efficient offense for Bolmaro, and it, disappointing for a guy who's like all right this guy's the stash guy but then now maybe he's older he can Come in, maybe contribute right away, and you know we just didn't see that, and he really was just kind of more of a throw-in. It seems like, and and I'm not sure, given his lack of pop, where he he's going to necessarily be able to contribute, except for potentially helping the Jazz lose games at the end of a tanking's and at this point.
1: The last team alphabetically, and I was going to say first in our hearts, but that's an absolute lie. is (laughs) is <laughs> is the Washington Wizards and their centerpiece was Johnny Davis someone we did not watch film on Davis the 10th pick in the draft out of Wisconsin two-year player with the Badgers listed at 6 196 and I mentioned hours and hours of recording ago that the there's a thing that happens almost every time I go to summer league which is I see one guy who went in the second round and I'm like how the hell did this guy not go in the first and then I see at least a couple guys that went in the first and I'm like well how did that I happen
0: who you are gonna? Who that was gonna apply and to?
1: It's not great when it's the tenth pick in the draft, and with Davis. Like, I remember the first time I saw him was I, I was in the, the camera. Who the, I think I was in I was in Thomas and Mac basically waiting for kind of the next game. And but I was there at the start. I was just I was holding over, talking to some people after after a game. And I was there for the Wizards. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, there's a lottery pick in this game and he's never touching the ball. And that was completely surreal for me. And so overall, on that front, Johnny Davis, 22 percent usage as the only guard on this Wizards summer league team that I mean, they have their two-way guy, but like that are that are going to be, you know, that's a, a priority for them. I've used the phrase developmental priority a few times during this podcast. And so you, you'd hope that he would have the ball in his hands more. You'd hope that he would average more than 1.7 assists per game in his three contests. But for me, it was all, so some of it was that he wasn't doing a lot, but like I, there was this one play where Davis drove past his man and then Jalen Duran just absolutely annihilated his shot. And you're like, okay, didn't have, didn't really have much shake there. But what kind of stunned me more, you know, so like, okay, this guy's falling by the wayside. Is I started looking into, well, okay, you know, sometimes it's somebody who doesn't he doesn't pop athletically. Maybe they're doing all this stuff. I'm like, well, he was probably this awesome, super efficient college player. You know, like kind of like the fears that I had with not in that before I watched film of him with Keegan Murray, where it's like, oh, is this super efficient guy? It's not going to work. But with Keegan Murray, of course, obviously, it does Johnny Davis, fifty two percent true shooting on 32 usage last year at wisconsin and he you know he did have some effectiveness as a passer and i don't want to knock that and there was the thing that when Woj tweeted out that he was going to be the pick described him as a point guard which i do not believe johnny davis is so i i'm very concerned because i don't see the athletic pop and I personally don't see the like the ideal offensive role.
0: Yeah, let's hope that the highlight of his career isn't that Taco Bell commercial he was in where he was getting drafted and then had to go and get some Taco Bell. Uh, but yeah, maybe that may have been more indicative of his decision making uh, because he had a 21% turnover rate. <laughs> in this, and, and mostly was working off the ball, coming off of screens uh, to the extent that they were running plays for him. And um, you know, you mentioned he wasn't that efficient at Wisconsin. You know, he's kind of one of these guys who would will himself into shots uh, on this Wisconsin team. You know, he had some big games at times, and, and he definitely plays hard. You know, I thought defensively, uh, he, he competed pretty well in this summer league.
1: He competed well, but, but he doesn't, to me, he doesn't have great physical tools. Like it was, no,
0: I would, I, I agree. I mean, he's, he'd be more more of a kind of like a decent oh, shooting guard a, c-
1: quick inter quick interruption can i tell you do you want to guess the number of possessions for johnny davis's most used play type in summer league on synergy the number of possessions for so his he, most he didn't used play, play type. johnny davis didn't have more than 10 possessions it was nine in any play type on synergy in three games played as the like as the guard who they're developing in summer league he
0: just didn't Probably, touch the ball is it, i think it's spot up right it
1: is spot up yeah spot up yeah. and then he did eight pick and roll a pick and rolls where he resulted in a shot or turnover he had 14 overall
0: yeah and in the end i mean just some of these numbers were really ugly for davis 42 percent true shooting three of nine from three that left him as Five of 18 on twos, only got to the foul line six times in three games, only had five assists, and he turned it over a ton given the low usage. Uh, and that's disturbing because he's not operating that much on the ball. He's coming off of screens and trying to make quick attacks. And when he's coming off of these screens, you know, that if they're running like a wide pin down for him, he's really trying to turn the corner inside the arc rather than it being outside the arc. He only got up three threes a game. As I mentioned, like that, that didn't look exceedingly comfortable. It doesn't look like someone who can shoot that on the move. Uh, you know i thought his first step was okay like he was able to get penetration but then had very little ability to finish at the rim and also got himself into some tough situations you know i mean a lot of the scoring that he did in college was kind of putting his head down getting to a spot forcing a shot up maybe getting fouled and you know that's just not going to work with his level of athleticism uh in the nba uh he was only two out of seven around the basket in the half court uh, in those three games there was one time where he kind of in a fluid situation ended up having Saban Lee on him in the Detroit game and Lee is like six foot one he's a good athlete relatively decent strength he plays hard but you'd hope that Davis at 6'5 with the way he played in college would be able to get something good there so he like tries to back down just gets completely stoned throws up some crap so, yeah, I mean, we joked without having seen that much of him. It's just kind of based on what he was supposed to be, you know, just watching Keandre's video of him that he was just a total wizardsy pick. And yeah, you know, he's already 21. Big surprise. No upside. I, I think it, that seems pretty clear to me at this point in time. And then not only is it not much upside, but you get into this area where you just, what is this guy's role even going to be? If he's not going to be a great shooter, I just don't see how it is that he's going to score efficiently in the NBA where you're going gonna run plays for him so i i'm just yeah i i mean there's no no other way to put it than to kind of be down on him. it's not only because of the bad results but it's just the things that he's trying to do offensively you just you have to be so good in the NBA really an elite scorer to play the way that he plays and i just against NBA competition i just don't think he can play that way and so all right then what does he become a 3 and D shooting guard but he's not that good of a shooter like he's really going to have a lot of work to do there on the three ball and so yeah i just i struggle to see other than just competing hard defensively what his role is going to be at the NBA level.
1: Yeah, it, it is an absolute challenge. Do you want to talk about Vernon Carey or do you want
0: to talk about Isaiah Todd? Oh, baby, yeah, we are ending on a high note here. Uh, Carey, briefly, we could talk about. Yes, he is still in the league. Drafted number thirty-two uh, out of Duke. Left-handed, one of these kind of like soft touch guys, uh but has center size. I think he's improved his body. You know, that was the one thing that I thought was slightly encouraging based on where he's been. That uh, he was able to block some shots at. Thought he moved his feet reasonably well, uh, looked to be in pretty good shape overall. It had like a couple of nice blocks, like he blocked a, a three from the other team late clock, switching out, which a uh, surprise guy. So, it defensively didn't look as bad as advertised and you know i can't say i was incredibly locked in on his defense but he didn't look totally hopeless out there the way kind of a lot of these like bigger scoring interior touch guys are uh so so he looks like he's worked on his body he is guaranteed for now a third season uh given where he was drafted uh didn't really try to get the jumper going from three or anything like that um and then he's got a soft touch around the basket, like some little short hooks. He'll work hard for inside position off a pick and roll switch. It can score okay inside. He's very left handed, uh, you know, goes right shoulder all the time in the post. But if he's just posting up against a smaller guy on a duck in, that doesn't really matter that much. So, you know, I, I felt like uh, he didn't look like he was just someone who should be out of the league necessarily, at least in this setting. Like, I don't know that he, I would be trying to bring him in as anything more than a third center or anything like that. But I think he has a break glass in case. Case of emergency guy like you could do worse
1: and kind of in some ways in a similar vein isaiah todd who played on the g league ignite and two years ago then was drafted you know and was on the wizards last year i thought he looked to be in better shape which is definitely encouraging yeah, yeah. it was something that we wanted to see from todd after last season was moving better you know
0: and but power forward uh yeah. the what, what are the uh 7-1 wingspan eight eleven standing reach stands six ten, so good size for the power forward position
1: good size for the power forward position and, but a power forward to me, not a center. So then that means you have to, yeah. you have to shoot the ball. Well, you have to be able to ideally fit within the flow of the offense and, and hopefully defend at least some position. And I, I, one of the big concerns for me with Todd in this is he shot okay from three, 30% on 33 attempts over five games, but didn't get to the line at all. Only took two free throw attempts during, yeah. during that. And just, you know so you, trying you know take in some tough shots not making not making enough of the easy ones and power forward only guys you know we, we talked about the center position is oversaturated and it most certainly is but the utility provided from a power forward only guy who isn't who isn't great defensively is extremely low
0: yeah so i, I think for him to be in a rotation he needs to come in and just be a fantastic shooter and you mentioned he shot 30 percent. i thought he showed some signs though of getting there i mean to get up the Thirty-three three-pointers in five games. Like he was shooting some deep ones. He was shooting on the move. To invoke another former wizard, Davis Bertans. Like I mean, very few guys at this size, six ten, are ever going to be the type of shooter that Bertans is. But to play in that manner, you know, I think it is possible that Todd could be someone who is going to be able to come off screens and shoot the ball. And uh defensively, it's not amazing. You know, he can get tired. The effort can wane. But it, as you mentioned, he looked better physically. He had a few moments moving his feet. Not a rim protector, though. He had one steal and three blocks in the five games that he played. That's not too spectacular. Uh, But it had a few times where he, like, didn't look totally hopeless moving his feet. I mean, I think he's going to be below average for the power forward position. Like, not really going to be a switch guy necessarily. But, you know, could be better in time than someone like Bertans. Uh, Has a high release as well. And, yeah, had some bad misses because I thought he was really challenging himself to take more difficult threes but it looked comfortable with it and you know he had a couple of post-ups but those usually seem to evolve into like difficult fadeaways and, and then in terms of finishing around the room he's an average leaper at best but maybe he could get out and transition like you know he'll dunk it when he's around the basket with a head of steam but he's not really just like crushing these dunks or anything like that so you know i, th- I think it was like he showed some evolution i do think that the Wiz will probably end up regretting trading the number 22 pick isaiah jackson for todd at number 31 and Aaron Holiday who didn't last even a full year on their team but uh, I I thought Todd at least showed some strides it's just you know he he was he's not coming from a point where he's close to being a rotation player but but if he if he becomes a really good shooter like he'll have a role in the NBA yeah
1: I think that's fair you want to do some news before we get out of here
0: you know what why not I'm feeling spry here what we got
1: not a ton we're still in the holding pattern on Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell their potential trades so that will That will take a little bit of time to move forward. But we did get...
0: We should mention uh, mock KD trade sees all.
1: Yeah, and as the person who was the Celtics, I was torn in that exercise with you and Dan Feldman on how to handle Jalen Brown, I eventually decided that the combination, and we did a kind of like a mini extension negotiation there, is that as Boston, both Durant being really, really good right now, and Jalen Brown only having two more years under contract, that if he were unwilling to sign an extension, I would at least engage in the possibility. It sounds like the Celtics engaged in the possibility, and it hasn't at least yet come to fruition. Yeah, apparently
0: this was a a, a, you know the report came out from Woj and and then Shams that Jalen Brown had been offered along with Derek White and one first round pick. There's later clarification from Jake Fisher that and I think Zach Lowe as well that these conversations happened potentially weeks ago. And there's always this like oh was he offered was he was he not offered like you know but obviously if they're gonna have a discussion Jalen Brown would have to be in the deal. That's just how it would work. Um, What was the deal that we ended up with in the mock trade with uh, kd
1: i believe it was jalen brown Derek white two first two
0: swaps yeah so so that i i mean i think maybe brooklyn would do that deal as we've talked about ad nauseum this idea that brooklyn's like oh we're gonna stay in contention you know is yet another monkey wrench into these discussions they they want to stay in contention but they also want a better package than the rudy gobert trade at the same time and and the other thing that's just kind of annoying frankly about these discussions is like they're demanding Marcus Smart be in the deal, and it's like no, like you, if you're Boston, you're not going to give up Marcus Smart. Like he is. You you want Marcus Smart
1: with Kevin Durant?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like you could, if you give up Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, like you could end up in a situation where you're actually worse, like for this year. In addition to giving up, obviously, a, a potential future well, you may have. It's with it's it's
1: also. I mean, you could see it as the circumstance, the parallel that I've drawn over the years is to the Pelicans, one Kyle Kuzma, and then the Lakers being like, fine, we'll give. You extra picks just so we don't include Kyle Kuzma, which ended up working out pretty damn well for the Pelicans. Kuzma's done well. So it could be a circumstance like that. But the marg- for the Nets, the marginal difference between Smart and White is, is smaller than it is for the Celtics. So that's a circumstance where you probably want a different asset instead. And also, as a kind of a more salient point, we don't know all the nuances of these negotiations. The difference between Smart and Derek White doesn't matter that much to the Brooklyn Nets, even if they want to be competitive. They just aren't structured in the same way where Smart is as essential. And also, they don't have a functional replacement for Smart the way they do for Derek White because the Celtics just acquired Malcolm Broughton.
0: Yeah, and one would think that this is clearly coming from the Brooklyn side, that they're trying to be a seat. They offered Jalen Brown, like get your offers up. Um, you know, Woach did report that uh, apparently Durant's position on wanting to trade has not changed but still it seems the next inflection point potentially will be in camp and whether you know, kd is like actually there and playing or or he's going to be slow playing i don't think he's going to straight up hold out you know because he wants to get paid i don't think he wants a ben simmons situation but eh you know maybe his uh hamstring be acting up a little bit you know do we see that sort of thing or does he just play uh under contract i mean i have said this before i hope that kd and Kyrie actually like stay in brooklyn And I want to see what this team looks like with Ben Simmons, a healthy Joe Harris, and we hope a healthy TJ Warren and some of the other role players that they have. Like, I think that could actually be a contender in the East. And it's just, it's more interesting to me if KD has his own team. So I actually hope that they try to make it work there, but uh, we'll see. He didn't ask for a trade lightly, I'm sure. Where do you want to go next?
1: Just because it's the first time it's ever happened, we'll lay out what the Sharif Cooper Hawks situation. So what happened is the Hawks, Hawks gave Cooper a qualifying offer to retain his rights and then the next Didn't we mentioned this yesterday actually oh we may have but I just I'll just yeah. walk through briefly but so since okay. but so Cooper signed the qualifying offer but then the Hawks cut him you're like well how's that gonna work it's because a two-way contract is not a guaranteed contract so it's a it's kind of a fake qualifying offer i firmly believe that in order to have restricted rights in these players you should have to offer them an NBA contract just because it's too it's too little to to ask and so Cooper now he he's just a free agent he's floating in either the Hawks didn't have to really pay anything for the privilege I think they should fix that system I, ideally to me you would fix it even before the next CBA you would do so considering two ways came in kind of in a different format you could tweak this system in a different way we don't know the exact terms yet but Juancho Hernan Gomez is going to be signing with the Toronto Raptors the bevy of partial and non-guarantees that Masai Ujiri has amassed means that the end of the roster dynamics and toronto are consistently different than other teams but i'm expecting Wancho to have gotten a fully guaranteed contract
0: yeah and i think maybe uh, particularly if they're aiming more for the playoffs he can kind of be the backup to the backup Otto porter and so porter doesn't have to play too many minutes this is a big one here it's, it, it's gone under the radar recently but felony charges have in fact been filed against miles bridges for both partner and child abuse again those are extremely disturbing allegations however however However, the way it works in the NBA is different than the NFL. No discipline can occur until there's either a plea or a conviction and if he does not uh, end up pleading guilty or there's no conviction if he's uh, acquitted or charges are dropped the nba cannot impose discipline uh, on miles bridges but uh the deadline to withdraw the qualifying offer passed on july 13th so that is still out there and you know our, our next point will be in october uh, when charlotte can pull the qualifying offer if he hasn't signed it and uh, keep him as a restricted free agent i I just I have no idea where this is going I I think this, that we're really in unprecedented waters here because this is the first time frankly that we've seen a player be considered this top uh, this toxic who was a free agent but also had this much value obviously in the marketplace and was this good of a player
1: yeah and I mean obviously the personal the the alleged damage the the, the harm to Bridges Partner and child are far more important than this, but it is an unusual situation. It is something that we will... Continue to monitor. We had heard like kind of parts of this before, but I want I just since we got the exact number from Jake Fisher that the payout for non-luxury tax teams for last season for 21-22 was 10.456 million dollars. That is a lot of money. And for those who wonder what you know why teams duck the tax, it's often especially at those margins towards the end. Sometimes it's about the repeater. It's usually actually not about the repeater. Sometimes it's about you know not having to pay the money but it's more like if you can cut a million off your books and then get a check for 10.5 then that's probably the right business decision and unless it makes your team significantly worse either because you lose a good player or because you gave up an asset to do so
0: yeah and we should see similar numbers this year perhaps that would change with a trade by the lakers or the nets that could reduce their bill but obviously the clippers and the warriors are going to be right there uh, unless some massive changes happen and their season goes totally South. So teams should expect a relatively similar windfall. Perhaps though, as the cap begins to rise and then the new TV deal, this will be less of an issue. But certainly for this year, the incentive for a team like, say, the Blazers, who we talked about earlier, is just less than two million over the tax to get out is massive.
1: A couple of pieces of news for the Golden State Warriors. They are going to get you michael Green. We I think we talked about that briefly. I know we did it on Spotify I, Live.
0: I don't but, think we did actually. Um We we talked about it on Spotify. There there has been,
1: at at one point, there was some conversation about how green was the auto porter replacement like you i think green is actually more credibly placed as the N- nemnia bielitsa replacement where he can play a little bit of small ball five can play some four for them give him give him a different option but he doesn't have the forward slash shooting cred to me of porter and so i think the theory is going to be different that jonathan kuminga is functionally the porter replacement but green at the minimum after that buyout is a capable player for the rotation unless he's just toasty toast.
0: Yeah, and part of the problem is that he just shot poorly from free last year after he'd been pretty solid uh, the two years for the Clippers and then his first year in Denver. Uh, I think defensively is where, you know, I think he's really going to be more of a back end of the rotation guy. It hasn't shown a lot in the last couple of years there. And you know, I don't, I actually think Bielitsa gave more as a defender in the post and maybe even at least had some decent health instincts, if not explosion and had this weird thing where he's actually able to guard uh, his uh, other... Other players from the Balkans or superstars like Jokic and Doncic somehow and actually even was able to guard Jason Tatum a little bit in a weird way. So I, I think Green, you know he's a vet. He knows how to play. Uh, he doesn't have the same explosion as a dunker as he used to. You know that's something that maybe they could have used more of earlier in his career. But he's available for the minimum for a reason at this point. But he's going to come out there and not screw up. And, and you know I also don't know how good he is at this point as a switch guy defensively. So I, I think he's going to kind of be more of a body at those big man. Positions. Positions, but not someone that they're going to want necessarily in an every night rotation role. And then let's talk about these Golden State extensions. Um, and Draymond Green, this is in the news now because Draymond Green is going to be eligible very shortly in the three-year anniversary of having signed his previous max extension max in the sense that it was the maximum raise he could have gotten.
1: Maximum allowable, not because of the, because of the extension rules, not maximum like 35% or anything like that.
0: Yeah. So, but he's eligible, I think for four years in the 130 million range, you'd want to decline his player option of 27 million for next year, get that extension immediately, uh, given his age that would be an insane thing for golden state to do i understand wanting to be rewarded and green you know, has never really made like a real max contract in his career so but yeah i mean paying him over 30 million a year until he's 37 just does not make any sense particularly because we did see you know we saw some really good moments from him last year but we also saw some slippage and the, the offensive issues it could uh continue to get worse and, and you know he did i thought he had showed less explosion as like a rim protector and a rebounder last year too so i'm i wouldn't be interested in that and then you know you've got these other golden state extensions as well with uh pool and wiggins and i think uh, just as a general proposition danny how would you be handling this as golden state
1: it's thorny to be sure especially when you consider the success that the team just had winning a championship but the way that i would be thinking about it as Bob Myers is thinking about where where the market might be for these players. And that leads me to Green at first, because Draymond Green is going to turn 33 before the start of next season. We have seen historically, not that every other front office will see it this way, that he has been significantly less engaged, even in his Wait, prime. How,
0: what did you say he was he was turning? He'll turn
1: 33, 33. Okay. Yeah, because he's 32 now. His birthday's in March. He'll turn 33 before the option decision. And then presumably, you know, we're we're talking about we're talking about free. At that juncture, because he is a you know, he has that player option for twenty three, twenty-four. And and so Draymond Green at age 33 hitting potentially unrestricted free agency there could be teams interested i mean he's from saginaw the detroit pistons are still trying to figure out what in the world they're going to do at their front court it seems like troy weaver wants to compete but draymond green is not a great shooter like you you think about all the different limitations that you would have and they just drafted a bunch of centers most of whom don't space the floor at least yet and uh, uh, it is going to be another year as things look right now where the teams that have cap space are not the best or they're not ready to compete right now and draymond green you can argue the the
0: only other team i thought might be a possibility is portland they'll be like as it looks now about five million below the cap uh but that would even and you know maybe they could make a move uh with like you know not bringing back uh nasir little and then they also would have to that would assume josh hart opted out they didn't bring him back and then maybe they could have something along the lines of like 20 million but that's that's still i mean not as much as you would want to start with so yeah and it's
1: it's a worse situation than worse so i I don't think green has the leverage other than the positive feelings you know with the organization like i don't think he's going to get that kind of a a deal in free agency in 23 and the warriors haven't really it's it's one of the most bizarre parts of their story is that partially due to the cap spike and how much money they make is that they haven't had to have these really tough negotiations green in many ways it was facilitated by him having a lower maximum andre
0: in in 2017 it was kind of really the only one
1: yeah it was really the only one clay thompson they just gave him the money and so now he's going to make 40.6 yeah. next year 43 uh, although
0: they have they've always gotten their pound of flesh right like Steph has never had a player option stuff or a never no trade had a no trade clay has never had a player option
1: right and so with green it was less because he had the the like the capped max due to the extension system and and so how myers handles this and and also how the players do because you know the warriors have all All of these players under team control, whether we're the four we're talking about in terms of um, that that Andrews that Anthony Slater and Marcus Thompson's piece talked about, they're all under team control for next year. But that doesn't mean that Draymond and Wiggins and pool in particular are going to be happy about it i guess that's one way yeah, to
0: i, I get next year meaning this year twenty twenty two.
1: yeah twenty two twenty three 23 season. the upcoming season yeah. all those guys are under contract and then with wiggins it's more complicated i wrote a piece for the athletic earlier in the offseason about the extend or trade concept i think with how well the warriors played last year you can do it a little bit differently but they can also bet on their system the idea that they're these players aren't going to get something better like maybe if wiggins wants more shots or something like that he can do it and then with they can use the restricted process. So with Pool and Draymond, what I would be saying is if you want to take a contract that we're comfortable with moving forward, you know, and that's for, for me with Pool, that's below what Anthony Simon signed for because you can you have he was a restricted free agent and pool is a year out you take some of that risk off as a player if you sign a year early and with draymond it's you know yeah if you want something in more of the like 20 to 25 range you can do that and then for wiggins it's probably a little bit higher than that but i don't think those put any of those players accept any of those terms and then you get into the awkwardness
0: yeah well i, I think wiggins maybe is is one where everybody is going to kind of want him and then pool you know if you would take 25 million a year i might do that just because he would always be tradable like he wouldn't be tradable during the year but you could trade him afterwards because you wonder about pool right like if they go into the playoffs again and he's on this 18 minutes a game plan because you can't play him too much with steph curry defensively then it's like all right you know maybe we don't need this guy at 25 million a year and but there are a bunch of teams that we could trade him who would want him there as opposed to you go into restricted free agency and it's where he's an asset but he maybe he's worth more to other teams than he is to you because of his defensive limitations in the playoffs um yeah and then draymond i mean they can always extend him during the season too i might consider offering him like one more year like he opts into his player option and i'll give you one more year and maybe that is also a player option if you know just to like kind of reward him and like keep him from sabotaging this season but even that i'm, I'm a little skeptical about wanting to do and yeah the guy I'm just like all right let's play it out and hey you know what? we can always extend you later you know we can always we, if we get to free agency uh you know we'll see if you have another offer maybe we'll match it at that point maybe we just move on for him i mean it's just it, it's really your biggest risk is him just being so much of a distraction this year but even then it's like they don't even care about the regular season that much like he's not gonna not play in the playoffs because of this so i think and draymond
1: will will need to play in the playoffs if his goal is to make the most money possible in order to get that contract
0: right uh and then ryan rollins signed for the remainder of golden state's tax mid-level two years first two years guaranteed uh a significant guarantee in year three we don't know how much uh, that is uh, but, but I'm guessing that it's it's gonna be right at the rookie minimum for his first year to keep the tax bill down and maybe that's why then they had to guarantee some in that third season. but that's that's a very nice deal for the 44th pick. Uh, a lot of guys in that range ending up well, on two ways, but
1: especially the 44th yeah. pick who didn't play in Summer League. This is not a Jabari right. Walker situation where he was you know he was second to last pick, but did so well that he got guaranteed money.
0: But, but I think good job by his agents of understanding that he had more levers than your typical 44th pick because Golden State actually wants to sign him because he'll cost so much less against the tax. Recall that if you are a team's own second round pick, are the only players who cost less against the tax than the two-year veterans minimum, even if they are making less, right? So if you signed someone who's undrafted, even if he's only making the rookie minimum, he still counts against the tax at the two-year minimum. And so that's, you know, another like 5 million in tax payments for them at the level that they are at right now um then maybe uh, two more things here more information on zion williamson's contract his guarantees will be reduced if when he weighs in at periods throughout the contract the sum of his weight and body fat percentage is not below 295 so the amount of guaranteed money in his contract can be reduced if that happens this is kind of a weird metric that like you're going to count a body fat percentage which at his weight is basically worth about three pounds versus like that percentage counts the same as a pound does and you know also like weight is not great and then you know how are they measuring the body fat which is a a number that can vary significantly but i think this is more just kind of to make sure that he doesn't balloon up too much and supposedly he's gotten past some of the issues he's had with conditioning uh, in the past and then the thunder have done it again danny
1: they have i mean no team has title innovation the way that the oklahoma city thunder do Thank And they are bringing in Vince. I I, I've never heard it actually spoken. Vince Rosman. Vince Rosman. Rosman, who had been in the Sixers organization over fifteen. I think it was fifteen. Might even been more than fifteen years. They are bringing him over as the vice president of identification and intelligence.
0: Yeah, Rob Hennigan, of course, the director of insight and foresight, uh, pioneered these incredible titles. And Rosman was in Philly. uh, Worked under a number of different regimes there sam hinkey and colangelo and elton brand and maury uh so he, he was uh, one of their main scouting guys and then also uh, perhaps more importantly we shall see uh, it had been reported that chip england would be leaving san antonio at the conclusion of his contract by jace fisher we didn't know when that concluded but apparently it was right about now because the 61 year old will be joining the oklahoma city thunder
1: and he'll be joining as an assistant coach so he england will be on the bench i'm guessing that's a part of how this happened was that one of the upgrade in role and it came up when we discussed Oklahoma City on the previous podcast but I think this is a great group if, if England can live up to his reputation as a shot doctor not only just Josh Giddy but Jang and a few uh, even Shake just Alexander if his shot can get more reliable it would make a world of difference for him so i it would be it would be great if if England can can work that magic
0: to help set this OKC foundation moving forward well that was quite the odyssey there but we are done with summer league we are caught up on news So this is basically Sunday's pod. We're recording it today uh, on Friday. Dunked on Prime subscribers. Got this uh, on Friday. If you're on the public pod, this is sunday that you're getting this but of course i highly suggest subscribing to dunk On prime if you're on the public pod you can of course get the rest of our prospect reviews there commercial free and we'll still be doing two big episodes per week through these next couple of months uh, on dunk On prime as we get into the off season, we'll be coming up with our offseason grades starting later this week so great to have you all on board really appreciate your listening and we'll talk to you all next time